So Psalm 23, we've spent the last few weeks looking at Psalm 23 through the lens of the shepherd motif, arguing that you can take that motif, all six verses, and be consistent with it. At the same time, we realize that there are points in the psalm David makes specific application to his circumstances as king. And so there are those who come to the psalm and say, look, it it isn't consistent throughout. Um, And so there are places we need to abandon the motif. I think both are right. For sake of time, I don't want to uh, explore the second in in a whole, whole lot of detail. Um, But what I want to do is to talk about uh, how else to, to look at Psalm 23 and how the Bible treats Psalm 23. Um, I think people are surprised by how often the Bible quotes the Bible. In fact, the most quoted passage of the Bible by the Bible is Exodus 34. It's a story where God um, uh, walks by uh, and, and Moses hides in the cliff of the rock. Uh, it's referenced all the time um, in Old and New Testament. And Psalm 23 is one of those passages that writers uh, refer to directly or indirectly. And, and so my goal is, I want tonight to be one of those nights, I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. Now, if you're one of those who absolutely loves that, tonight's a good night. If you're one of those that just spoon-feed me, you're going to be miserable. So, so whichever one you are, stick with me. I, I think you'll find, find all this fascinating. Um, I want to begin with uh, one of my favorite books of all time. is a C.S. Lewis book, naturally. It's The Voyage of Don Treader. And The Voyage of Don Treader is a character named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved the name. And in the story, he gets turned into a dragon, just a greedy dragon. And there's a whole circumstance that leads to that. And uh, that creates a problem because he can't get on the Don Treader, which is a big boat. Um, he, he can't fly from one place to another. He gets too tired. What is he going to do for food and all that sort of stuff? So it creates a number of problems. And so um, eventually he meets Aslan, the great lion. And Aslan takes him to a certain island, uh, Dragon Island or something like that. And there uh, Eustace discovers that he can actually um, take the dragon skin off himself. He's there, and he starts to rip away at it and everything. The problem is, is though he's successful at starting the process, the dragon skin always comes back. And so he'll start all over again. He's just shredding the dragon skin only for it to return. He gets really frustrated. It isn't until Aslan shows up on the island and um, roars his mighty roar. Of course, Aslan is a type of Christ in, in, Nar- in the Narnia Chronicles. Uh, he roars, thus liberating Eustace from the dragon skin. So it's a fantastic, fantastic scene. And, and when Eustace was telling that testimony to the Pevensey kids, he, he says, you know, it hurts, but it was a good hurt. That's to say that, that in order for him to be liberated from being a, an old greedy dragon, he had to go through a process of pain to be reborn. It is a salvation story. Eustace becomes a new character as a result of this. With that in mind, that's what we have in Psalm 23. I think Psalm 23 is a, is a wonderful a picture of peace and tranquility and the certainty of God's care. It's really a story about salvation and how it is that, 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 that God, God redeems us. Um, so... Um, you'll, you'll notice as we've seen that you can follow the shepherd motif throughout it. So the shepherd is mentioned in verse 1. It's clearly referenced with the green pastures, the still waters. Verse 4, the rod and the staff. Clearly he's still talking about that. I think verse 6, the reference to goodness and mercy are, as Spurgeon called it, the hounds of heaven. These are your, your border collies, your Australian shepherds, right? Your shepherd dogs. These are the, the, the herding, right? They, 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 they're by, if the shepherd's in the front, 
the uh, dogs are in the back. Uh, so I think you can clearly go through and see all that. But at the same time, there are places where, at the very least, it looks like David has written in such a way that we can keep the shepherding motif, but we can abandon it at the same time. Let me give you an example of this. Verse 3, he restores my soul and he leads me the path of righteousness. Now, without looking at any of the Hebrew, anything deep, really think about that. What does that have to do with shepherding? Now, one thing we said about the restore my soul part is it's likely a reference to a cast sheep. And I think there's some truth to that. But what about leads the path of righteousness? Is there a road in the Middle East called righteousness that the shepherd followed? I, I don't know. It seems clear that, that David is, is he's, he's already in the, the psalm, right? He's the sheep that's being made to lie down in green pastures. He's the lamb that's going through the valley of shadow of death. But here, it's almost as if he's telling the reader, okay, yes, we're the sheep, but let me apply this. The shepherd, the real shepherd, because we're not real sheep, he's leading us down a certain path, and we call that path righteousness. Okay, so you can see little hints of it there that David is trying to guide the reader um, down a certain path, if if, if you will. The same thing we can do in verse 5 and 6, that a lot of people will show that verses 1 to 4, that the field is the setting. Verse 5 and 6, the home is the setting. So you come in and you're uh, seating at a table. If you take that literally, um, that, that is a dinner table, right? And there's already been dinner tables. Um, well, what we said was a table you can keep doing the shepherd motif because the table is a place where you eat. For a, a sheep, it's, it's the field. The shepherd has to prepare that table. At the same time, the natural reading of it is, as a king, he dines before his enemies because they are conquered. He, he's, he's not afraid anymore. And the very last line, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a house. It's not a field. And what do you do with that with sheep? So my point here is, is yes, you can follow the, the, the motif all the way through, but there are places where it seems like David is trying to direct our attention to something specific. So I want to highlight a few things in, in here which will allow us to, to hop elsewhere. A couple words worth looking at. The first word, to go back to verse 3, he restores my soul. Two words there worth looking at. The first one is the word soul. Now, I assume as your translation say soul, does anyone has life? Anything like that? Um, you don't have your message, do you, Don? Okay. Well, the word soul, while you look that up, the word soul in the Old Testament, we bring with it a lot of baggage to it. When the Jews are writing soul, it's a little more complicated than that. The word appears over 700 times in the Old Testament, so a significant word. However, its base meaning is throat. Okay. Um, let, me, let me give you an example of this. Um, Numbers 11.6, but now our strength, this is the word soul, our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Well, what's the point? We're out in the desert and we're thirsty. When you're thirsty, it kind of affects your throat, right? So, so they're, they're saying that our strength, our throat is dry, is what they're saying. Psalm 105, his feet were uh, hurt with fetters, his neck, that's the word, his neck was put in the collar of iron. Well, you wouldn't say his soul was caught. And he's describing Joseph here, by the way. So Joseph, his soul was shackled. No, no, no. It was his neck. It's his neck. The base meaning of the word is neck. Now, metaphorically, that be, be because we, we breathe, we eat, so much of our life depends on the throat, right? 
um, that it, it becomes to mean more than merely neck or throat. Okay? So, so, so we get a few references here. Um, it means often our entire being. For example, um, Genesis 46, these are the sons of Leah, okay? whom she bore to Jacob in Padamaran, together with his daughter Dinah, altogether all his sons and daughters number 33. I believe somewhere in here, uh, I don't think it's sons, uh, I think it's somewhere over here. He's saying is, these are the souls of Jacob. These are the beings of Jacob. These, 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 these are the necks of Jacob, if you will. And the whole point is, yeah, yeah, the message, yeah, of uh, Psalm Breath. They chose breath. That's interesting. That's actually a little more accurate. The rest of it was, was kind of, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. The, I think I've told this story before. When I was a youth pastor, I was probably the very first funeral I like had a major part in the funeral. And uh, the main part I had was the burial. I'd never done burial, knew nothing about burials. I was clueless, youth pastor. And um, so I thought, I'll just read Psalm 23. Someone told me to do that. I had... Um, the Holman Christian Standard Bible had just come out uh, from Lifeway, and all the students at Southern got a free copy of it. I probably still have this in my office somewhere. And I kept it in my car. I'll tell you how green I was. I lived in Louisville, but the, the burial was, was anointed. I had left my, my Bible in Louisville. I didn't have it at mom and dad's. But I had that one in the car, so I just grabbed it. I had never read a word of the Holman Christian Standard. Let me tell you, I stuttered. So bad trying to get through there because I had the King James in me. Even, even you know, your new King James and NASB, ESV, those sound King Jamesy. He restores my soul is very much King James. Um, so, so I really struggled. I, I hope none of them remember. Says he renews, my life. renews my life. Yeah, yeah. That's getting closer to 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 the idea. Um, yeah, King James is why we use soul so much. Um, um, but, but the point of, 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 the, of the Hebrew writers is not that we have a nephesh is the Hebrew word, but that we are a nephesh, okay? So when you throw in the idea of soul, what we do is we separate body and soul. The, the Hebrews, what we could tell, didn't really think in those terms. They believed in the afterlife. They believed, they believed their separation. There's hints of that. But the idea of that, that the being is a unified being, I think there's some good theology there. Um, so, so let me, uh, uh, this is an early version. It's not the first reference to it in the Bible. Uh, Lord God formed man, dust the ground. He breathed in him. He became a living soul is ESV King James. Uh, so other translations would say being, he became a living being. Um, so it's not that God gave him a soul that day, but that he became a being, right? He, he became this, this embodied, uh, image bearer. And, and now, uh, so this carries the idea of the whole self. So what you'll get in the Bible is often this word can mean the self, I and me. Let me give you an example of this. Um, in ESV, let my soul live and praise you. Now, it literally says, like if you take the Hebrew, let me live so that I may praise you. It has nephesh in there twice. It's not good English, so we work a way around it, okay? But the writer puts it in there twice. It, it expresses our, our, our very essence. 
Again, let me prove it to you. We're going somewhere with this. Psalm 3.1. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. Again, it's not neck. It's not throat. It's not my disembodied part of me, right? It's, it's my inner being, right? We say this. I love you with all my soul. I love you with all my heart would probably be more of a, a, a one that we, we would use. That. That's, that's the idea. Now, this helps us to understand the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What he isn't saying there is love God with your non-material part, but love God with your every fiber of your being. Your identity is tied with your affection to, to, to the Lord. Let me give you one more of here. In Psalm 42, I can prove it to you. As a deer pants... For flowing streams, so does my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God. Notice there what the writer's good poetry. He, it's a play on words. He, he understands that the idea of the being is tied to the throat. So I thirst, I, I throat after you, if you will. And he's saying that that is my being is thirsting for you. It's a good play on words in, in, in the psalm. Well, so what is being restored? Well, his being is being restored. Not, not, not his soul. That, that is that he becomes a happy person now. But his entire being being restored. But what does that word restore mean? At its root, the word means to turn back, to return. You could even translate it repents. Let me give you an example of this that will just prove it. Remember the story of Noah. It's, it's about the boat and all that. Um, uh, the dove, remember that? The dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. By the way, that's the word Noah right there. Noah just means rest. The seventh day of creation, he lands on the mountain. He's got animals. We've talked about that. She, there's that word restored. She restored. So no, no that, that wouldn't work. The word means return. It's return. Now, this makes sense in light of the shepherd motif, doesn't it? Because the shepherd motif is we set a cast sheep, but... The reason, one of the reasons it becomes cast is because when the sheep wanders off, the lamb will, will realize once she's lost, she realizes she, she can't find her way back. So she will uh, hide and she'll start to bleat, right? And that's really dangerous for the lamb because it's a call to her shepherd, but it's a call to predators. And so in that anxiety... In that circumstance, especially if they're heavy with wool and stuff, they're more likely to become cast. And so David here, he's like, you lay me down green pastures, you leave me still waters, all that sort of stuff. But you bring me back. You restore me. You, you lead me to repentance, if you will. Right? So you see, see, it, it's almost like David. Yes, there's the shepherd motif, but, but in addition to that... He's trying to direct the reader somewhere. And in that context, he says, where does the shepherd take me? Passive righteousness. How does the shepherd take the sheep? Well, when you go get this cast or, or, or scared sheep, the sheep's legs become too wobbly. It's one of the reasons they're cast and they can't stand up. And so what the shepherd has to do is he has to seek out the lamb, find the lamb, and carry the sheep down the right path. So he leads me by carrying me. So you see the beautiful shepherd motif there, yes. But, but there isn't a path called righteous. David is saying, no, 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 you need to see I'm applying this to me. I'm the one, I'm the sheep that was lost. And, and the shepherd has come to rescue me. 
right? And he is, he is putting me on the path of righteousness, right? And, and so that is one of the, the big ideas is that this chapter is a, a spiritual journey of a sinner who finds, um, he finds salvation in the arms of a Savior, a Savior depicted as a shepherd, this is the sort of savior that he is. Um, and so this poem is in many ways a poem of repentance and restoration. Right? To return and be restored. Right? And, and now part of that journey, verse 4, is to go through the valley of the shadow of death. And what did you find in the end? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think I can prove this to you. Okay? Turn to Jeremiah 23. We're in Psalm 23. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. We got out early last week, so no promises this week. Jeremiah 23, we're going to read the first eight verses. Okay? It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. So already we see shepherd motif, right? Shepherds are all over the place in, in, in the Bible. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful multiply. Fruitful multiply. Clearly, there's hyperlinking in this passage, right? That takes you all the way back to Genesis 2. So we know that Jeremiah is thinking of other passages when he writes this. So verse four, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. They shall fear no more, nor shall be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name of which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Is, any of this, is anything popping off the page yet? It will, okay? Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people out of Israel, the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought us and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them, Babylon. Then they shall dwell in their own land. Now, before we look in any depth, does anything stick out to you? Just a couple things stick out to me. We will dwell in the land. Okay? It's not the house of the Lord, but we'll dwell in the land. Okay? The path of righteousness, I'll, I'll bring them back to righteousness. I'll come down, right, as a shepherd. There's a reference to David, right? So, so what I want to argue is that Jeremiah has been reading Psalm 23. And he applies Psalm 23 not to a lamb, but to a flock. Let me show you the, the parallels here. Okay, Psalm 23 begins with a lost sheep. Now you have a lost flock. So it goes from David to Israel. Okay? Now, we'll come back to this. We'll look at other passages. What is the problem in Psalm 23? Lost sheep. Okay? He restores my soul. Lost sheep. What's the problem here? Uh, the, the shepherds, the bad shepherds, which is an addition to the story. There's no bad shepherds in Psalm 23. As we'll see, the bad shepherds will become a pattern in other passages. The bad shepherds scatter the sheep. So it isn't that they wandered off, it's that they were led poorly. And the shepherds are the cause of the sheep being lost. 
Who's the good shepherd? Psalm 23. Well, it's Yahweh, right? Yahweh is my shepherd. Who's the good shepherd here? David will return. So you get a double reference to him. Um, verse 5. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. The reference to David and the branch are clearly messianic promises. The branch shows up everywhere. Zechariah 3, um, Isaiah 11, and other places. The branch is a reference to the Messiah. Okay? And David, obviously, because the promise of the eternal throne. And later he mentions, I will raise up a king. So, so who's the good shepherd here? It's Messiah. David. Okay. One last thing we already referenced. It ends in Yahweh's house, Psalm 23. It ends in the land. So what Jeremiah has done is he's taken this beloved poem and he says, okay, that applied to David, but we can apply this to our current circumstance to the house of Israel. Now he adds some of his own things, right? It, it, he doesn't just repeat it. He adds things. The bad shepherds, we'll, we'll see in Ezekiel, will we'll return. There's bad shepherds here. Okay? Um, and, but he, it, it follows the same outline. Okay? Now, I could read that a thousand times, and I would never see it. Uh, I was reading into the book a few months ago, um, and it just, once you see it, I don't think you'll, you'll miss it. And now when you go through it, some of that language would just pop off the page. Um, so uh, despite adding a few elements, the, the story arc remains the same. Okay, turn to Ezekiel 34. Now, we won't read this chapter because it's too long and we're limited in time. We're going to see something similar. So Psalm 23 is six verses. Jeremiah 23 is eight verses. This is, what is it? Uh, It's like 30-something, 31 verses. We're not going to read through all of it. But what's interesting is, is that Ezekiel follows the same pattern. He clearly has Psalm 23 in, in his mind. What's interesting also is, and if, if we had time in the space, we would, we would compare all three of these passages, but we, 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 just, we just can't do that. And it would be too much. Uh, it's already going to be overwhelming, but it would be, be too much. So, like, for example, Jeremiah added the uh, scenario of bad shepherds. Ezekiel keeps them. So I think, like, the first ten verses are the shepherds of Israel. These would be the priests mostly, the religious leaders. They're bad shepherds. They've scattered the, the sheep. And then what you get is verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God. By the way, notice, uh, does your Bible, Lord is in big L, little O-R-D, and the G-O-D is all capitalized? Mm-hmm. The reason that is, is when you see God's name capitalized, the, it's the divine name of Yahweh. So the Hebrew here says Adonai Yahweh, but we translate Adonai as Lord, and we translate Yahweh as Lord, so, we do, so what do you do in English? Thus says the Lord, Lord, right? That, that doesn't make sense. So what we do is we, we keep Adonai Lord and we turn Yahweh into God. Do, do with that whatever you want. So God there is Yahweh. Thus says Adonai Yahweh, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Are you seeing the pattern? Notice here that that. In Psalm 23, the shepherd seeks the lost sheep. In Jeremiah 23, I will send David, the branch, to seek out my sheep. Now, I will seek out my sheep by sending David. So what you have is, is the good shepherd is, is the sort of like an under-shepherd of, 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 of God. Same thing here. 
God is going to seek out the sheep scattered by uh, the, the bad sh- shepherds. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and so on and so forth. By the way, the word um, rescue there is the word restore in Psalm 23. Jeremiah used the same word in Jeremiah 23. I forgot to uh, point it out. That same word that David uses for restore is used in Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 34. It's the same word in the context of sheep and seeking them out to bring them back, to rescue, to restore them, right? To, 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 to redeem them, if, if you will. Um, you, you, you can read, read, read the rest of this. Let me just uh, give you a um, summation of this here. Same thing is you got lost sheep in Psalms, you got lost flock in Ezekiel 34. What's the problem in Psalm 23? Lost sheep, as we said. Here, the shepherds scatter. This is taken, sounds just like Jeremiah. Who's the good shepherd? Well, it's Yahweh in Psalm 23, and it is David. Because if you keep reading, he he makes messianic promises. It's just just a long chapter. We we, we, we don't have time to look at it. Um, I'm trying to find the, the, the exact... Um, okay, go down to verse 24. Um, right, verse 23. Um, go to verse 22. Do verse 22. Forgive me. We'll do 22 to 24. Um, I will rescue my flock. There's that word. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between she, uh, sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord I have spoken. Notice again the the combination of the shepherd king. Psalm 23 is a king writing about being a shepherd. Right, and what happens in the end of Psalm 23 is is that the, the reader is brought into the king's palace. And there's a table before my enemies. So you get in Psalm 23 this mixture of, of the royal shepherd. Jeremiah 23, the royal shepherd. Ezekiel 34, the royal shepherd is David. But we're not looking back at David, we're looking forward to a David. But it is God coming down in the person of this David to rescue his sheep. Right? And you'll, you'll, you'll see again, you can, you can read it on, on, on your own. Um, that just like Jeremiah, this ends with the sheep in the land. Because Jeremiah and Ezekiel are dealing with captivity, Israel going into captivity. And so the great hope they have is that God is the good shepherd. And he loves not just the lamb, he loves the flock. And in David's case, one lamb wandered off. But now in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel's day, the entire flock has been scattered and what will the shepherd do? He will go to each and every lamb and return it. Here you get the hint of the remnant, but, but that's the broad idea. And where do they come back to? The land. Jeremiah is anticipating Babylon. And he's saying, look, the good news is we will return to this. What's Ezekiel saying? We will return to this. In three chapters from here, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is the Valley of the Dry Bones. What's the whole point of that story? God will raise up Israel from the dead. Right? It's a, it's a different metaphor. It's the same message. 
the prophets are great if you can get past all the negativity, right? They are, they're, they're just hardcore. You're a terrible person and you should die. By the way, God's going to save us, right? I mean, if you get to that point, the prophets are great. Um, so, but you can see the pattern. It's the same pattern taken straight from Psalm 23. Let's look at one more, okay? If we had time, we could look at Zechariah. Um, and uh, it's, it's a little more scattered in Zechariah, but Zechariah loves the shepherd motif. And you and I haven't read Zechariah in 10 years either, so we'll just skip Zechariah for now, okay, for sake of time. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Now, I bet if I said we're going to look at the New Testament, you would assume it would be, I am the good shepherd. We've done that. When we started, we, we kept saying this is going to climax in the good shepherd, and that's true. Because Jesus will claim for himself to be the good shepherd, but that's not the only place he does that. Luke 15 is there's three parables. The lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. Now, we've looked at the lost sons a thousand times. My very first sermon here at this church was the prodigal son story. The tale of two sons, actually. So, love that. What we usually do is we end up skipping the first two because they're not as fun. I mean, one dude lost a sheep. Well, that's bad. He found them. Good. Lady lost her coin. Well, her purse was too big. And, and so we just move on, Right? But read it slower and, and, and notice what happens here in, in Luke, Luke 15, right? Verses 1 and 2 sets up the, the context. Now, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Here come the religious elites. The Pharisees, scribes, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. What they're saying is, he eats with them because he is one of them. What Jesus is going to do through a series of parables... It suggests the opposites. His point isn't that Jesus has become one of them, but that they have become one of his. And because the religious elites don't see this, they're on the outside. They're not welcomed at his table. So you see the setting, right? They, they are at a table, and Jesus is in the presence of his enemies. Right? It's right there in the text. He's having a fine meal, and in come his enemies, who are going to crucify him which is the climax. Remember, the prodigal son ends without an ending. There's no conclusion. We don't have time for this. So, but I've shown you this before. Take the prodigal son story in three sections, right? The prodigal leaves, the prodigal returns, then the second son. Those three sections, the first two are the, they're stanzas and they match. They're the same length. The third stanza is missing a line. And it ends with the, the father pleading the question, won't you come in and celebrate? And there's no ending to the story. That's because Luke is about to tell you the end of the story. It ends with the death of Jesus. Because the prodigal son is the tax collectors and sinners. The, uh, uh, the second son, the older brother, is the Pharisees, who is on the outside, where the, the feasting is inside. That's how the, the, the passage starts here in verses 1 and 2. What are the Pharisees going to do? They're going to murder Jesus. So in the story... I'm stealing this from MacArthur. I think it's so, so good, so insightful. The story ends with the brother picking up a rock and killing his father. Because that's how the, the gospel ends, with the crucifixion of Jesus. But what about this story? Um, for the sake, sake of, of, well, let's read it, okay? Verse 3, so he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep? So where do we begin with? A flock, not a lamb. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. So far, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, flock. Everything's flock. So you have a hundred 
sheep, you have a flock. He does not leave the 99 in open country and go after the one that is lost. Oh, oh, oh did you notice that? We went from flock to lamb. And it's cool, right? You're just going to love this. I, I, I do. And you just have to suffer through it, I guess. So, and he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. This is starting to sound familiar? In Psalm 23, he restores my soul, is itself its own story. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Wait a minute. It sounds familiar. It's implied in Psalm 23. It's been explicit here by Jesus. Because everyone here is a shepherd. They know that the lamb isn't going to be able to walk. Just not going to do it. So he will, there's a cost to the shepherd has to carry. He has to carry the cast lost sheep. No matter how many miles he may have wandered off. He carries on the shoulders, verse 5, rejoicing, verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice me, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let me, I'll go ahead and put this, this up for you, okay? So we have Psalm 23 right there. Everything's saying we go from lost sheep to lost uh, flock. But as we said, it's a lost flock and a lost sheep. Did you notice something strange? What happened to the 99? He abandons them. Pause, pause, and think about how we've always applied that. We've always applied it as he is so loving, he'll, he'll go after the one. Yeah, at the risk of the 99. Who does that? What happens to the 99 when he returns? I don't know. Don't know. They're never mentioned again. That's the question we're supposed to ask because the audience is not just the tax collection sinners. It's the Pharisees. They're the main audience. He's pleading to them. The, the chapter ends with this, the older brother outside and the father is pleading, come inside and rejoice. And the first story is there's a lost lamb over there and the shepherd, the good shepherd goes and does it. So, so you have a flock and, and he, he leaves. And he, and he never returns because the question is, what became of the 99? That's the question. And it's answered in the prodigal son story. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Because you, you jump right from the, the rescue to the celebration with the friends. And, and then you get, who's the good shepherd? Notice what Jesus is doing here. He is, he, remember that these readers, they know their Bible better than we do. Particularly, you know, their Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible. They are well aware of this tradition. If, if, if we want to get really nerdy, I can prove to you from the uh, rabbis in the Hebrew writings. They clearly see a connection between Psalm 23, Jeremiah 23, and Ezekiel 34. Jesus takes that traditional interpretation, and he tells a story that follows the same pattern, but he himself is now the shepherd. Because the connections is obvious in it. So what Jesus is saying is, uh, in, in, in Psalm 23, the Lord is the good shepherd who goes to rescue the sheep. In the other passages, the Lord sends David. So the Lord is embodied in David. He's personified in David, the branch, to rescue the sheep. And Jesus comes and says, I'm the guy that rescued the sheep. This is a thing that if you ever get a, a, a critic of the Bible, they'll say uh, the idea that Jesus was divine was a later Christian idea. 
Because you read the synoptics, Jesus never claims divinity. That's nonsense. Uh, But here's a fun little example. You'll miss it a thousand times if you're not looking for it. Jesus is claiming for himself to be the Messiah, who in Psalm 23 is the Lord. So I didn't put it up here, um, but um, the guy that's been helpful me think through this, some of this stuff, is he adds the word incarnation in Psalm 23. It's implied in Psalm 23 that, that the Lord goes out and searches for the, the sheep. In, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it's made very clear that the Lord in the person of David goes and gets the sheep. He enters into the story. Here, Jesus has entered into his own story to rescue sheep. This is Christological. It's, it's, I mean, it's just gorgeous to look at. And what's the story? Well, Psalm 23, return, restores my soul, my being. What is it here? He goes out to the one that has wandered off and he rescues. He brings that sheep back on his shoulders. And what is it that, that you get in, in Psalm 23? Celebration, right? That uh, we have a feast. What is it that, that this guy's going to do? He's going to gather everyone together, have a feast. It's going to celebrate. This is how you celebrate. Their food is always involved when you celebrate. It's always, it's still true today, right? You're not going to have any sort of celebration unless there's food involved, right? And that's, that's what they're doing. Now, notice this. Psalm 23 ends in the Lord's house. This parable ends in the shepherd's house. The sheep is there. Isn't that cool? Isn't that the coolest thing? I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, 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 so. What's 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 the main point of all? We'll skip all this. The main point is what it's the story of the gospel, right? We we all agree Luke fifteen is all about the gospel, but we usually go to 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 the prodigal son, and rightly so. The sinner wanders off. He has uh, a, a time of, of repentance. We looked at this a few weeks ago. And he returns home, and there the father is drawing him in, right? The father goes, and he takes upon himself all the shame and everything's honor culture. And he goes in, and he, he adopts the son again. The son is willing to be a slave. He adopts him as a son. And then there is the gospel message to, to the, the righteous brother, right? The father, again, he goes out into the field. He goes out, and he, he seeks to rescue that brother. And the question of the text is, which brother are you? Are you the one who, though you wandered off, returns? Or are you the one who thinks you you never left, but actually you loathe your father? Which one are you? One of them will uh, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The other won't. But that story begins here with this sheep, this this lamb. And and Jesus is looking back all the way in Psalm 23, which we read it as a, as a beautiful psalm of of a sheep and shepherd and love and, and comfort and peace. Right? I've preached it six points of peace from Psalm 23. That's perfectly fine. At its core, what makes it a psalm of peace and harmony and love and beauty? What makes it that? It is this narrative that God enters into our story and he rescues sheep who on their own can never find their way back. And where does he lead us? Paths of righteousness that may take us through a valley of the shadow of death, but it will end up in the house of God forever. Now, it took us a while to get there. It's there in the text, but we don't see it clearly until we see Jesus telling the story. 
So here you have these tax collectors and sinners. And what's Jesus saying? They're just lost lambs. It's the scattered flock of Israel. And I've gone to rescue them. But as we saw in Ezekiel, I've got to judge between sheep and sheep. And you're the 99. What's going to become of you? Don't know. Not until you get the Calvary. And we discover what happens to the 99. They're scattered. They're scattered. All that from six verses written a thousand years ago. Yeah. I noticed that all the way through there, and there's other places that same thing is going on. They still don't believe. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is excellent at showing, like, the Bible is telling you something. You're not paying attention. It's the self-righteousness of religion. If I have all the right answers and I do all the right stuff, I'm in the good. Jesus comes and then says, it's, and that's the prodigal story. Which son was more righteous? The one who thought he didn't need to repent or the one who knew that he did? In fact, if you want to see Jesus is speaking with tongue in cheek, um, verse 7 here, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. Now, where does the Psalm 23 end? Dwell in the house of the Lord forever, paradise. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who think they don't have to. Now, he doesn't say it. He says they don't need to. They're so good they don't need to. It's tongue-in-cheek. He's not saying the Pharisees are righteous. He's saying they think they're righteous, and I'm just giving their PR with, with what they want it to be. I'm reading their press releases. Spiritual bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. Self-righteousness is the most blinding thing there is in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's right there. This little, this is the, now, we could do this with other passages. Um, uh, Jesus tells a lot of parables about sheep, a lot of them about sheep. Um, and then you give them to the epistles, and you get some of the same stuff. First uh, Peter 5 about uh, the shepherds of God in the church, right? There's, there's some similarities, um, but no point in go beyond Jesus. Um, here Jesus, without saying it, declares himself to be the good shepherd of Psalm 23, Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23. So good. So good. The Bible is shallow enough you can, a child can wade in its waters. It's deep enough it'll drown an elephant. So, okay. Anything else? Mm-hmm. 